And how much time we have? Um, I need about two days. <laughs> <laughs> Hello In No Time Talk. This is Atresa Monique, and I am here today with Dr. Woodard, Dr. Joanne Woodard. And I am um, so excited and honored to be in your presence. Dr. Woodard, um, she is the founder of Salaby Howard School for the Arts in Wilson, North Carolina. And um, I had the pleasure and was blessed to attend this school um, from fourth grade to eighth grade. So when it first started in 1997, um, I attended. And this school for me, um, it is definitely a part of my roots. And it was a place where the seed was planted for my voice to to come alive and my, my artistry and my creativity. And um, we learned about our ancestors and where we come, you know, where we came from. And you just cultivated um, this, uh, a culture, I could say, that, that supported dreams. And that's what it meant to me. And so I thank you for that because um, also too, I was able to travel yeah. Uh, to Africa at 12 years old. That was the first study abroad program that um, you had. And seeing that as a child, being exposed to that was life-changing for me and and set um, and also planted another seed of, of travel and me wanting to explore the world um, now. So I just, I thank you for all that you have done um, for me and all of the children that came um, after me. Uh, and I just, I wanted to start with the beginning. Um, you, uh, I remember you telling me that you came from California. Mm -hmm. You moved from California to here. Um, can you talk about that some and what brought you here and mm -hmm. your inspiration for Salaby Howard? Yeah, that's great. Well, Adresa, thank you so much for the chance to have this dialogue. I hope I don't take up too much time and can get right to the point and, and be of some help and maybe even some inspiration to the audience that's listening yes, to this. Uh, so thank you for all of those kind things you said. But as you were speaking, I'm thinking to myself, I can't take the credit for that. Everybody has a role to play when... You know, when change occurs, when uh, opportunities uh, open up, when big things happen in the world, it's really never just a single person. Mm -hmm. Things come together. It's probably, I would say, in my experience, it's in the will of God because so many things happen unexpectedly. So uh, I never really feel the whole credit for stuff like this, for what we're doing here. But nevertheless, I know that makes me seem like I'm modest and all of that, but the fact is that's just the truth of my experience with uh, this journey to create something wonderful, special, and life-changing in a small rural community that I came up in, by the way. This is home for me. So yeah, you know, in 1987, October 17th, I can remember the day that I escaped mm -hmm. from uh, California because I was involved in an, in a, an abusive marriage. And, uh, and my children were suffering for that, I thought. And I did not want them to grow up believing that this is how uh, husbands and wives operate mm -hmm. in the way that they were witnessing in front of me. 
and they were like second grade, fourth grade, and fifth graders. So I arranged, and, and, and with the help of a church mother, uh, she guided me, and I did arrange to escape. That's actually the word, because my husband was a drug user, mm -hmm. uh, even a drug addict, I would say, but he hid it very well as a professional guy. And so that morning, when he left to go to work, I had it all planned. I had, you know, boxes of things already put together and that kind of thing in secret. But anyway, I was able to, with the help of uh, the mother, a mother in the church, to bring myself and my children to a safe place, and that safe place being Wilson. Mm -hmm. You know, at that point, I was already a PhD in psychology, a professional person and all of that. But in that moment and in that space of time, I was on my I was in despair. Mm -hmm. I was down on my last, you know, uh last leg. I had no money. I was broke. I was busted. I was coming home with three children in tow to a mother who was living on uh social security. So, you know, there was stress and pressure all around. But when I called my mom and I said, Mom, I'm not happy, she said, Well come home then. And that was all I needed to have the okay to pick up and go. The way I see this journey is that <clears throat> God has a plan for your life. Yes. He does. And uh, before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. And he, had, he knew the plans that he has for you and there to prosper you, not to ruin you. Mm -hmm. And, of course, at that point, I felt like I was ruined. I didn't know what I was going to do, where I was going to go. And coming back to Wilson at that time, you know, I'm 71 years old now. Mm -hmm. So coming, I grew up in Jim Crow era. There was, no there was no desegregation. We lived on the black side of town, on, this, on the side of the tracks, and the whites lived on the other side. So this was the life, and the, and the, this is the life I knew. So I never expected I could come home and make a living for myself because that wasn't possible. This is a tobacco town, mm -hmm. seasonal work, professionals. If you're not a doctor and have a, a business like that, right. you don't find uh, professional employment here for psychologists and mm -hmm. all that. So my expectation was wasn't that I would come here and get rooted and and thrive here. I was just coming for a little waylay, you know, a little moment to try to put myself together and see right. what next was going to happen. But, you know, God had another plan for that. So I came in contact with Sally B. Howard through the family church, St. John Amy Zion Church. Mm -hmm. She was the head of, um, you know, the children's program. Christian education is what they okay. called it. And so I went to church and I said, well, if I'm going to help out in the church, I'll help in the Christian education department because I'm bringing three children. Mm -hmm. I won't just leave them for somebody else to look after. So that's where I met her. And as William Barber, Bishop William Barber, the guy who's really well known now mm -hmm. from Green, from uh, yes, Goldsboro, as he said, because he's come to our school a few times and, and spoken and events and things like that, he said, and the rest is history. When these two people met, the rest is history because it's all in God's plan, you might say. I would say that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how we started. Well, she was, um, she took me under her wing because I was uh, an educated person and a reliable person helping out in the mm -hmm. Christian Education Department. And she was eager to draw all people into her, into her scope of things, you know, uh, into her orbit mm -hmm. because she was on fire all of her life to pour into others what she knew and what she, what inspired her 
you know, teach others, children, adults, anyone about their African heritage. That was really the main thrust mm -hmm. of what she was about. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anybody that would listen or anybody, like I said, that moved into her orbit, they mm -hmm. were going to hear and learn and just be awed and mm -hmm. wowed right. by her scholarship, her knowledge, uh, you know, her, her way, her, pers her personality, her magnanimity. She was such a, a big... Mm -hmm person, not in stature, but just in terms of her voice, in terms of her presence. Mm -hmm. You just knew you were sitting at the feet of the master anytime you were coming in contact with her. So she took me under her wing and brought me to her house and said, listen to the Ivan Van Sertima tapes, listen to the Nile Valley tapes, read before before they came, before they before Columbus came. That That's not quite the they came before Columbus, mm -hmm. and uh, just a lot of um, scholars, um, uh, people who were able to tell the story and reveal to, uh, in their material, the truth about the the journey of the Africans into America and, to, in fact, all over the world. So this was knowledge I knew. I knew nothing about my African heritage. What did I know? I went to school in this little small tobacco town. We didn't have that kind of information pre presented to us in history. Mm -hmm. We didn't know anything about ourselves as far as a, an illustrious uh, heritage. Right. Now, we knew we came like handkerchief heads right. in the cotton fields. We knew that. And, you know, the whole idea of how we are expected to think of ourselves in America is as second-class citizens. Right. Now, that's that. That's what's internalized. You treat it that way. You don't even have to be taught. You just, you're living in, a, mm -hmm. in, a, in an environment that says you're second-class you are you are nobody mm -hmm. you have nothing of any value to contribute to humanity to society you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. that's just the that's just the uh, collective consciousness right. that's that's uh, uh, present uh, and and actually still is yes. i would say so there was a day there was a moment in all of this time she was talking to me and it wasn't like years it was just a matter of a few months mm -hmm. because she was determined to expose me to the knowledge that she had one one fine afternoon i'm sitting over there listening to the nile valley conference tapes i can't even remember some of the the speakers on that on that but you know it hit me like a rock wow this is this is really important and this is powerful Mm -hmm. This is powerful information. I never understood this. I never thought about what these things, what these people were talking about. Uh, I never knew the history uh, of our of our ancestors. I never knew their greatness. I never knew uh, their accomplishments. I never knew that they were the first civilization on the world on the planet, and all civilizations came after them. Mm -hmm. I never knew that we built the first stone building, the pyramids, which today is an, it's a, it's a uh, who can explain how the pyramids, the great pyramid of Giza was formed. They, they have some crazy mm -hmm. theory that, you know, aliens mm -hmm. came in and built the pyramid because these Africans uh, in Egypt could not, were not smart enough. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. They weren't talented enough and smart enough to build something that cannot even be replicated today with all the engineering and all the knowledge 
that the world has, that structure cannot be replicated. You see it all the time on the History Channel. They're always going there and and discovering and talking about how did that happen, the temperature in there, how could things be so well Mm -hmm. preserved after thousands and thousands of years with the tombs and the sarcophagus that are sitting in there of the Mm -hmm. great kings of Egypt and the area. How could could their their remains still be preserved as they are? How did they control the temperature in there to make sure that that was, that was maintained for thousands of thousands? It's a, it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Great Pyramid of Egypt is a mystery to this day. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me repeat, cannot be replicated today because it is, it is as deep underground as it is uh, above the, uh, on the ground level. Mm-hmm. You know how tall and wide and all that. But it, it's Deep, it's, it's the same depth underground as it is. I mean, she just blew my mind. You know, the, the knowledge that she was imparting right. to me. I just could, you know, it's like, what? Are you kidding me? Here I am, 40 years old. I was 40 years old at the time. Uh, and I never knew these things. And they, those, that knowledge began to change me mm. on the inside. Mm-hmm. First of all, I fell in love with my people. Mm-hmm. You know, because if your idea is that we have come from nothing, we are nothing, and we contribute nothing as a people, and you know, the whole whole byproduct of slavery is that we don't trust one another, Uh, we, um, we, um, you have no confidence in anything black, because, you know, I'm not going to use that word on the, Mm -hmm. but it's the in mess, you know, so you don't want to be bothered with that kind of thing. So it changed me, and I fell in love with my people, and not only that, but the biggest thing that led to the work that I began to do after Mm -hmm. that was that this knowledge has to be imparted to our children. If I had grown up with the knowledge of who I am and who my ancestors were and and the greatness that runs through my veins and all of us, I would have a different mind about who I was, I did, my whole self-esteem and all of that. Not only that, but I would be a different person. I would be standing tall and straight. I would not have my head bent down for anybody for any reason. Mm-hmm. I would uh, not feel better than anyone else because Mrs. Howard is always telling you that. Mm-hmm. You're not better than anyone else, but nobody's better than you either. Mm-hmm. So I just know I would have been a different person. Any any of us would have been been different. So I thought that it was extremely important that this knowledge, that the knowledge that she had must be shared and imparted to our African-American sisters and brothers and children all around. And that's what I did first. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just excited and I started wearing, you know, the African beads and, you know, cowrie shells and, you know, bracelets and a little bit of kente here mm-hmm. or there, you know, a dashiki here. I mean, I didn't completely change over, mm-hmm. but I became, you know, more proud right. of my of my heritage. Mm-hmm. And I, I was teaching at the time, by the way, at Barton College in the, the Department of Psychology. Okay. Uh, and so I didn't go there in costume or anything like that, but I had little small things, you know, bracelets mm-hmm. and Things like that. I already always had my hair in an afro and cut short. Do you know? Later on, I discovered that that was a little intimidating to the faculty and the people around there. Just that I had these little small things. I didn't talk any differently. I didn't go proselytizing and saying anything. I was exactly the same in that regard. But uh, that was a little threatening somehow. Mm -hmm. 
to the people, and I only learned that much, much, much later. I enjoyed a good uh, a, a time there in, in the, on the faculty at, uh, at uh, Barton College. As a matter of fact, I was uh, promoted to be the chair of the department for four of the eight years that I worked in that program. So I have no, no ill will or mm-hmm. anything, but it just I found out, right. I discovered later. Really? Okay. Uh, so I just, you know, started to embrace... I just started mm-hmm. to embrace myself as mm-hmm. as a as a descendant of the greatest people on the earth. You know, God's mm. chosen people, really. I would say, you know, and uh, all the great things that are hidden and uh, not revealed and all that. I I came into the knowledge of that through Sally B. Howard, mm-hmm. and that changed my life. And it changed the direction of my life. It changed the trajectory of my life, and it it, it fell in place with the plan of God, which was mm. to do exactly what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The first thing I did was to start the Youth Enrichment Program summer camp uh, of Wilson, and that was an interesting story. But I did that, and, and we ran the, 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 with the help of Sally B. Howard. She was a teacher. I was the doer. I was the logistics mm-hmm. person. I was the workhorse. Mm-hmm. But I would set it up so that she could come and have an audience of 300 right. children mm-hmm. who she could work her magic mm-hmm. with. And she worked her magic mm-hmm. in that auditorium. Mm-hmm. We had uh, the, 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 the school system gave us Elvis Street School mm-hmm. as a place to do a summer program because, you know, they, the kids were doing nothing much, uh, breaking out windows, vandalizing school buildings, you know, the typical thing mm-hmm. that the kids who are not going to anybody's camp are low income. They don't have money. To, what are they going to do for the right. summer except be out and be rascals and, and hang around and do all that kind of stuff? So the city uh, was ha- the, the city and the school district was happy to give us a place that we would carry we would bring these kids mm-hmm. to some kind of summer program and it would be free mm-hmm. obviously. So I would set that kind of thing up and go to the churches and advertise and say, hey, we have a free summer camp. We're going to go to uh, field trips. We're going to, you know, trips around. We're going to Emerald Point. We're going to the Petting Zoo. We're going to uh, Rocky Mount. We're going to take them around, and we're going to work with them on their uh, English language arts, their reading, Mm -hmm. you know. We're going to do academic things, and... uh, it's going to be fun, and we had nothing to do that with, absolutely nothing. But they gave us a building, and uh, I went around to the churches, and I thought we'd have like 50, 75 children start. That day we opened that camp, there were 412 wow. uh, children hanging around, coming on in, coming on in. I had no help, no support, no staff, and I would stop, and <clears throat> I would go to the... Um, parking lot as the parents were bringing them in I'd say ma'am do you have a moment can you help us set up tables mm-hmm. in the in the church this that and the third and they said yeah sure so they were very receptive they they stood around looking at what else can we do what else can we do um and then it was just too many people I said let's walk the children down the street to the uh Reed Street Center because they have a big space out there they got games and they got you know, activities. Let's go there and sit there and see what we can figure out what to do from this day forward. Mm -hmm. This was day one. Mm -hmm. This was day one. So we marched these kids two by two. And you can imagine 412 or 420 students marching down the street, uh, Reed Street, uh, going towards 
let's see, it was Green Street. You know, mm-hmm. we're coming from St. John's Church, so right there at Pender. So we go to Pender, and then we go right on Green, and we march all the way down Green. Then we get to Reed. We turn left on Reed, mm-hmm. going all the way to the Reed Street Center, because they don't even know we're coming. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and people were pulling their curtains back and looking out the window and just saying, what in the world wow. is going on here? That's, that's, that was our first day. That's how we got started, with a big <laughs> splash. I could, you know, that's why I asked you, do you have two days mm-hmm. to hear this story? But you asked me to start there. Mm-hmm. So th- let me try to speed it up a little bit okay. at this point. Uh, we had G.K. Butterfield and Toby Fitch to help us out day one. Now, I had ask people to help Mm -hmm. before that day but you know that what did i have to give them nothing Mm -hmm. it we had no money we had hardly any resources i think we had collected some pens and pencils from bb and t had donated something like that but we had absolutely nothing except sally b howard and she was enough let me tell you all you needed she was (laughs) enough and uh, so we sat the children out there, and, and Reed Street Center just opened up every activity, every game, every everything, every room mm-hmm. that they had. Because I want to mention that at that time, they were on the down swing. They were on the, okay. on the down uh, low. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, people were not having a lot of confidence in them because too much stuff was going on around that mm-hmm. building, maybe even some drug trafficking, maybe this. But the co- people had lost confidence somewhat. Mm-hmm. So to have 400 and children show up mm-hmm. at their door, oh, they were pulling out everything they had. And so that's how we, that's what we did the first day. Mm-hmm. After that, though, we spread the children out over three churches, the uh, Calvary, uh St. John and then Jackson Chapel. They took them in, and so we had three. We eventually organized it. We got a lot of support after that. After they saw mm-hmm. this big uh, 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 crowd of children, uh, GK uh, went to Hardy's and, and they decided to do- donate lunches every day. Toby went to DPI, went to the child nutrition program at, in, at the state DPI in Raleigh, and they decided to give us money to, to feed the children. You know, so it it worked out, you know, very bumbling, awkward Mm -hmm. and everything wasn't worked out. But that's God, you know, God will work it out for you. Right. Mrs. Howard said this to me, and I'm going to really bring up Mrs. Howard a lot because she is the reason that we're here. Uh, She said the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Mm. So and and the problem is we are too afraid. We as not just as black people, human beings are too afraid to take that first step Mm -hmm. because you don't know what's going to happen. She said, so, Joanne, you took that step, not even prompted by her. This was just, hey, I was so inspired and so moved. These children have to learn about their heritage, Ms. Howard, and uh, we got to make that happen. Um, so that single step, not knowing and uh, not having resources, not having money, not having staff, I just, I just thought it was going to work out mm-hmm. because I had asked people to come and help me. So she said, so you took that step and then God brought all the mm-hmm. uh, his legions of angels, mm-hmm. legions of angels to help you because it's in his plan anyway. All he needed was a willing worker. Yes. All he needed was someone who was willing to take a chance. To step out. And she said, you didn't even have sense enough to know, Joanne, that this was not this was not possible. You know, what you mm-hmm. were about to do. She calls me all kinds of names, peasants and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm just a local, you know, ordinary. 
you know, human being with a good heart. Mm -hmm. I can say that I have uh, the heart of Jesus. I have the love of Jesus in me. Always have had that. Since I was a child, I could detail how that manifested throughout my life. Mm -hmm. But I've always been good to people, kind to people, loving people mm -hmm. from a child. So anyway, uh, everything kind of pulled together and we made it through that first year. Uh, at that, uh, at the the uh, YEP. the YEP, mm -hmm. yeah. Now you weren't in YEP; you were too yes. young. No, you I, were not. Yes, I was. I participated in YEP. I was really young, but I remember being there. Yeah, because I was just about to say what I remember was um, everyone would go in the auditorium, and she would come in and tell these fascinating stories about her um, her journey in Africa. She would always bring something. She would bring um, either like some drums. I remember this little uh, stool that she brought, this wooden stool. Ashante stool. And she would tell us that, you know, um, how she would sit out in the, I, I think it was like on the, on a farm. Like she was working, you know, on a farm, but she would use that stool. They would use that stool to sit mm. out. In the, I, they I were was, sharecroppers mm -hmm. as a child growing up. That's her, That's what their family did to survive mm. yeah so you you were there I was all the time I'm talking I said but I don't think she was there she's too young to have been there but yeah that was the beginning and it was an amazing journey there mm -hmm. uh and from there we did this for eight years straight Mrs. Howard taught me everything she said Joanne you don't start something and then give it and then stop it mm -hmm. and then start again she said people won't have confidence in you so what no matter what you must continue the summer program year after year after year. So people come to expect it. They have confidence in what you're doing and all of that. But I'll tell you, you know, folks brought their grandchildren and their cousins from uh, right. up north, honey, from D.C., mm -hmm. Jersey, every Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. They all came to Wilson for the summer because this wow. was a free mm -hmm. six-week, all-day summer program that the children were running there in the mornings to sit there and wait for it to open. Mm -hmm. We you know, we never were waiting for children. They were waiting for us to get there and open the building every morning. They were excited because right. they were being exposed to stuff they never right. understood. They never knew anything about. They were learning Kiswahili, right? Uh, Asante Mungu. Mm -hmm. You know, they were learning all kinds of things, and it was fascinating to them. And you know, Mrs. Howard is an actress. You know, when she was on stage, when she was in front of them, it's all from her heart. Mm -hmm. But she knows how to wow you. Mm -hmm. And if you will remember the thing that I love the most, and, and I uh, remember, not remember the most, but I love the most, she had this timeline. Mm -hmm. And that timeline started from 20,000 B.C. And she made this herself. Mm -hmm. And it was large. It was 12 feet, 15 feet wide. I vaguely remember It that. started, she, she had it started from 20,000 B.C. all the way to 2000 mm -hmm. AD uh, so because we started in 89 so 2000 hadn't even come come about but she would carry it that far I mean it was 15 feet wide and in parts and she would have that streaming across the stage mm -hmm. in the auditorium and that's where she started she she walked us all grown-ups and children she, every year she walked us from 20,000 BC along the Nile Valley uh, along the Nile Valley rivers and and walked us throughout the summer from there to the next thing to the next thing all the way down to 2000 AD and that was the story she was telling she was talking about 
you know the erect you know the 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 great pyramids he was talking about the civilization along the Nile valley how they use science to uh divide up the land uh for to to divide evenly between all the people and how they would use the land to live survive build grow plant all of that so that was some uh architecture you know all she was always and they're building acumen and all this is she was telling that story and how from there people civilizations expanded and and grew and 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 you know and moved around the world that's another story she's also talked about mm-hmm. so we go from there the hieroglyphics the first writing tools the first alphabet that was developed in that area and she would just keep walking us down now we'd get to uh it would eventually get to 1619 when we were brought over here from Africa as slaves. Now, the reason she had such a huge, wide, uh, you know, uh, illustration is because she wanted us to see that we didn't drop on the planet mm-hmm. in 1619. We didn't come to the planet and to the earth in 1619. We came to America in 1619. And we were, for 150 years, we were enslaved until 1865, or 250 years, and to 1865. And in the context of that whole scheme, that was just a blip in our history. That's very purposeful. She had it illustrated so she can see, so we can see that that's a little sliver of time mm-hmm. from 1619 to 1865. But look at all the history you have going 20,000 BC up to that point. So don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. Don't get it twisted. You're not slaves. You weren't born into slavery. Uh, uh, you know, this was not, this is not your heritage. Your heritage did not begin there. And so that was a major, so, you know, that shifts. People. Right. And we were all sitting there on the edge mm-hmm. of our seat, the teachers, the, the volunteers, the college people who came to work there for us for the summer. It was just amazing. That's the beginning. Those are all the beginnings. Mm-hmm. And she poured all of that into us to, to really change and inspire us. So in 1996, the state of North Carolina introduced and legislated and enacted the charter law the charter school law. And that was an opportunity for educational reform in America, or in, in, I'm sorry, in uh, North Carolina. And one of the lobbyists for the charter bill was a black Republican named Vernon Robinson. And I hope he's still alive. He's from maybe out a little bit in the Piedmont area, Burlington or someplace like that. I could be wrong, but he was not immediately from here. Well, when they passed that legislation, he contacted me. I didn't know who he was. And um, he said, there's legislation now to uh, open up the opportunity for charter schools in North Carolina, and you need to apply. You need to get in on that. And he told me he was a Republican. I said, well, if it, anything coming up by, through Republicans, it can't be any good for us. Mm-hmm. You know, I was rejecting that because any bill or any opportunity provided by Republicans is a, is a sham. It's not, it's not for real, and it's definitely not for black folks. That was my political thinking mm-hmm. about Republicans, whether you're black, white, or otherwise at that time. So I, he, he, he had to convince me. He had to come down here. Mm-hmm. He kept on after me. He said, because I do know about this, the, the work of the Youth Enrichment Program. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he learned about that, but that was 
brought to him and he somebody must have told him you need to get them because get them in so you can have some black operators some black charter schools in North Carolina as well but he persisted and finally we said I said okay we'll make an application I started to believe in him because we always wanted to go from summer to year round mm -hmm. we always wanted to be a school right from the beginning and not only that but we purchased land while we before the law came into being before we had anything except that summer school we purchased land uh our first the first five years of our existence we we had 15 trailers sitting out there um and we owned that land from the beginning uh i don't even know why we did that but god knew mm -hmm. and then when the law passed and we had that land we could pull up trailers and put that in there so that's how that's how that's how the school started <laughs>